Welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. A lot to talk about today, especially the NBA playoffs. A pivotal game six tonight for the Trailblazers and the Nuggets, and then also the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers. The past couple days, a lot of teams have clinched their spot into the next round. Will anyone do it tonight? Also talk about NHL playoffs, talk about the Detroit Lions, Tom Brady, and I'm going to give you my top five Major League Baseball teams. So let's get into it, starting with the Detroit Lions' interest in Todd Gurley. To me, this is a storyline that kind of shocked me. Because I think the Lions are fine at running back. Uh, They have DeAndre Swift, who they drafted in the second round. Uh, Not this in a past draft, but the draft before last year. Uh, They drafted him. They signed Jamal Williams from the Green Bay Packers, who is a fantastic uh, second option, who is a really good pass catcher for the Green Bay Packers, and now the Lions have him. So you have a nice one-two punch, younger people that can bring you value going forward. So what's the deal with Todd Gurley? Why is there interest right there? Dan Campbell said that, you know, they have interest in Todd. They've been talking to him and his agent, and it does not affect uh, how they feel about DeAndre Swift or Jamal Williams. Uh, I'd be fine if Gurley could resemble anything of what his Pro Bowl seasons and all Pro seasons did, but Todd Gurley is now a sad former shell of himself. Uh, Dealing with nagging injuries, arthritis, The outlook for Todd Gurley does not look bright. Already six seasons played in the NFL. Uh, Getting older, I know he's only going to be 27. uh, But running backs take a lot of hits in the NFL. uh, Are undervalued, underappreciated. And kind of once that five-year mark is up, if you don't produce the way Derrick Henry did, or does, or the way Adrian Peterson did in his prime, then you are not going uh, to get high value and high return on investment for players such as Todd Gurley. And I wish he would turn back to his former self. His first year with the St. Louis Rams, had a great rookie year, rushed for over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, was great, phenomenal. Then his sophomore year, now the Los Angeles Rams, came out of a gate a little shaky, only 885 yards, uh, averaged out to about 55 yards a game, only six uh, six touchdowns. So there's a little regression there. There was concern there if he could still be the guy or not. But then he bounced back with a huge 2017 season where he rushed for a career high in yards, uh, 1,300, had 13 touchdowns, uh, 
was magnificent uh, for this team. And then the following year, 2018, another Pro Bowl season, All-Pro, where he almost eclipsed that same yardage total, but it was a career high in touchdowns. 17, average of 89 yards a game. Uh, He was fantastic back-to-back years. Uh, Looked like he was going to be their guy, signed a big contract. But then 2019 came, the year after, year after the Super Bowl, hung over. Had a season career low, a bus far of 857 yards, even though he mustered 12 touchdowns. Only 57 yards a game, didn't look good. Uh, Rams released him due to that. Signed with the Falcons. And then again last year, did not look good with the Falcons. Only 678 yards, 9 touchdowns, averaging 45 yards a game in the 15 games that he played. Now, if the Lions were getting that Pro Bowl all-pro running back, I'd be all for it. But I just don't see the value here. I didn't even know if Todd Gurley and Jared Goff, who were both formerly on the Los Angeles Rams, are even that close. Uh, they might be. Maybe that's why there's a push there. Maybe Todd Gurley and uh, Jared Goff really do like each other, and Jared Goff's trying to recruit him over there. Uh, but when you have Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift, those are going to be the main focal points. It is not going to be... It's not going to be Todd Gurley. So we'll see if they sign him or not. They say he can definitely help the Lions. That's a lie. That guy, Todd Gurley, cannot definitely help the Lions. You cannot make a guarantee like that and say that Todd Gurley can help the Lions. No one person this year is going to help the Detroit Lions win over three games. Now, I picked him to be 2-15. I'll be generous and say Bill Max out at three. But I don't see that. He's not that guy to get them into the playoffs or a around 500 record of 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. So just stop it with that saying uh, he can definitely help the Lions. Yes, a few years ago he was unstoppable. But he is no longer... That guy. Now, Tom Brady. What's new with him? Well, the QB coach, quarterback coach, and offensive coordinator uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Clyde Christensen, Byron Lefwich, they said they they didn't even believe that Tom Brady was 100% last year. Uh they said that even Tom Brady, or allegedly Tom Brady, said to him that, hey, my knee is going to get fixed up and be better than I was this last year because I just had this nagging knee injury that bothered me. Bruce Arians said, you know, constant contact updates on the knee. How much do I believe of that? Well, let's say his knee is in pain. A lot of people have nagging pain, nagging knee pain back pain, elbow pain, uh, or a flare-up or something like that. Obviously, it wasn't that bad to where it hampered Tom Brady a lot, uh, especially down the stretch, because if 
you recall the Washington Redskins uh, football t- game in the playoffs, the wild card round. Tom Brady made an excellent plat pass where this is one of the few times I see him in his career scramble out of the backfield, run to the sideline, and make this amazing throw on the run to, I believe it was Antonio Brown, for a touchdown. And I was in disbelief. The man who is the true pocket passer beats you in the pocket, ran with his legs, and threw it downfield to make a play. And you're telling me his knee is nagging him uh, when he was escaping the pocket? Now maybe his knee, the lowest I'm going to go on his knee pain is 90%. Uh, I'm going to say it was 90% good, 10% nagging him. Honestly, I'd like to think it was 95% uh, good, 5% nagging him. Because the guy's 44 years old or something like that, or he's going to be 44 and no quarterback, no player has ever played as good as he did last year. Of course, you're 44. You're going to have nagging pain here and there, but he got his knee fixed up with his little surgery that he did. So how much better will Brady be? And will it be because of the knee? I don't think so. I think a lot of it has to do with the system. Now you're acclimated to it, acclimated with your teammates. Uh, you know, you won't see those sort of mistakes and turnovers where he had trouble with the offense not knowing what down it is I think will help too but the knee pain I wouldn't go as far to say that hampered him when he threw for 40 touchdowns last year he threw for 40 I don't think the knee pain bothered him I mean he looked really really good Cam Newton could be the one saying hey my knee bothered him, and I'd be like, yeah, you noticed? I noticed that too. I'm glad you spoke that into existence. But Tom Brady, really? I don't think you have to save a knee pain or if you get any better. If you get any better, I'm going to attribute it to the system, not to the knee. Now, if you make more plays and scramble, like you did in a few games, and use your legs a little bit more, then maybe I'll say, hey, Maybe they did more than a little surgery on the knee. Maybe they gave him some boosters in his legs uh, to make him go faster. But that's all he's getting for me. Russell Wilson, he takes a ton of hits. Uh, Patrick Mahomes as well takes a ton of hits. You can say, hey, those guys had a knee injury. And I'd be like, yeah, they take a lot of hits. But Tom Brady, uh, I'll take your 5% knee pain because I think my knee is nagging me right now too. Then Mahomes thinks he's ready to go after toe surgery. He says he's back. If there was a game today, he'd play in it. There's one record he wants to chase, and that's going 20-0. Is that likely? No, it's not likely. I've already had this discussion on a previous podcast where I've outlined that no, it's more likely for the Bucks, the Buccaneers to go 20-0 than the Chiefs. I don't think it can happen with their schedule way it's set up, especially early in the season where it's more difficult. Uh, you're not gelled as much. It's not going to be easy to get to 20-0 and win every game. There's 17 games in this regular season. 
I think it's going to be hard for them to get to 15 wins, 14 wins. That should be impressive for them. But the health of Patrick Mahomes is the main thing for this team and for this team going forward. If he's not healthy, you can scrap the Chiefs. Yes, they have great playmakers on both sides, but it is Patrick Mahomes that steers the ship and he steers it in the right direction. You have another guy, Chad Henney, in there for 16 games, even with that tremendous talent. I will tell you that he'll win a lot more games than a lot of other uh, players like him, but it gets to a point where he takes that ship and he steers it near an iceberg and the ship sinks. That's the difference between Patrick Mahomes and the backup of Patrick Mahomes, no matter who it is. So I'm glad he's healthy because that is the main thing, main concern for the Chiefs. Now, getting into a little NBA and maybe college basketball uh, combo since this is along the same lines, is that the Boston Celtics uh, GM president, uh, Danny Ainge, has stepped down. And current head coach Brad Stevens is now becoming the president of the Celtics, so they will need a new head coach. Uh, I thought this was definitely a surprise. Uh, Danny Ainge has been one of the great executives, uh, was a great executive, especially rebuilding this team, but also the value that he got for players such as Kevin Durant or Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo, after the 08 run with them where they won the championship. So now Bradley Stevens, who was a great coach, I believe, earlier in his years with the Celtics, uh, where they were consistently in the conference finals, where they've kind of taken a step back. It's going to be interesting to see who they hired to replace Bad Stevens, but it's also going to be interesting to see how Brad Stevens looks as the president of basketball operations for the Celtics and the kind of moves and the kind of leeway that he has in there since Danny Ainge was a beloved Celtic, won a championship as a player 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and he won as an executive, uh, I think one of three uh, people to do that, but I might be wrong. But very hard to win is both a player and an executive like he did. So then another sort of news before I go into the NBA playoffs uh, is Coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, for the Duke Blue Devils, is retiring, and it is about... Uh, his family, he wants to spend more time with his family. I don't get it. I mean, I, I mean, meant to say I get it. Uh, I don't blame him because he is 74 when he retires after his coming season. He will be 27, it'll, he'll be 75. Uh, and no matter what day he retires, uh, 
Could have been this year, too. He is the greatest college basketball coach in college basketball history. Sorry, Bob Knight, Roy Williams. It is Coach K. Won more than 1,100 games. Won five national titles. Always in contention for the ACC. Always was a dangerous team. Come the tournament time. uh, And built this team up uh, to a powerhouse for decades and decades. Uh, I forget who the replacement is, his assistant. But this is going to be the hardest follow-up. For any coach, possible any coach, uh, you could give credit to Phil Jackson for the Bulls. But especially in college basketball, as long as he's been there, Coach K is going to be hard to follow up with the program that Coach K has built for Duke and with Duke. It's going to be weird seeing another coach on the sideline. So I'm going to take in... One last time seeing Coach K in here and seeing if he can reach and win yet another national title. Now, moving in to the NBA playoffs. The Philadelphia 76ers beat the Wizards in five games. My prediction of a sweep was wrong and off due to... uh, Joel Embiid aggravating his knee, leaving with a sore knee. So they lost game four. Uh, Due to that, due to a poor shooting performance of Ben Simmons, but they bounced back and won yesterday. Even without Embiid, they were able to do it behind Seth Curry scoring 30 points. Uh, which was just great to see uh, him do that and really help this team out, Ben Simmons, with a triple-double. But now they face the Hawks, which I'll talk about later, but the 76ers need Joel Embiid if they are going to make the NBA Finals, win the Conference Finals, and with the way this Hawks team is looking, uh, I think Joel Embiid might need to be in this series to advance past the Hawks. Uh, they need him because they can teams can adapt the hack-a-shack rule for Ben Simmons where they can send him to the free throw line because uh, he is that poor of a free throw shooter. That is something that he needs to work on because he's so great defensively so athletic, so fast, uh, that he is just a great, great basketball player without a jump shot. Uh, It just blows my mind that my free throw shooting skills is the same level as Ben Simmons, and he's getting paid $180 million. Uh, If I would have known that, then, you know, I would have trained to be the fastest and make layups and defend 
uh, just so I can't shoot the ball from anywhere outside of two feet. I needed to get on that earlier in life. But the Wizards are gone. 76ers, best team in the East, move on in five games. Then there was yet another series that ended in five games yesterday. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz eliminating Memphis and five. They won four in a row after Memphis surprised them and took the first game. Utah Jazz advanced largely due to the mistakes the Memphis Grizzlies made in games three and games four. It could have been three to one Memphis going into the game last night, but there was too many droughts that the Grizzlies went on in the second half of both those games, games three and four. Too many turnovers that were made uh, in the Utah Jazz simply looked like the best team in the West, like they did most of the year. With Donovan Mitchell back and healthy, seeing how important he is to this team, had a double-double to finish him off. Last night, Rudy Gobert in the paint. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich as well. Joe Ingles. Mike Conley played terrific this series. Uh, Utah, Utah Jazz advanced. But the Memphis Grizzlies played really good. Hung in there most of their games. Got a win in. And I did say Utah in five with this series, so I will say I was correct about that. But I will say Memphis has a lot to hold their head up and be proud of. Ja Morant, I believe, is now a superstar in the NBA. He is that good, that big time, that uh, energetic, the energy he brings to the floor. Dylan Brooks is a really solid player for them. Great one-two punch they have with Brooks and Morant. Jonas Alanchunas in the center. Jaron Jackson. This is a very young team, and they're only going to ascend and get better. Maybe a superstar away from what I think would be the NBA Finals with this young team. I just do think John Morant has to develop a more consistent three-point shot, and this team will be very, very dangerous for the coming years. Yet another series ended in five last night as well. The Atlanta Hawks beat the Knicks at home to advance. Trey Young was spectacular in this series, and he finished it off by bowing in Madison Square Garden to the ire of the New York Knicks crowd at home. And you had the most improved player in Julius Randle go against the better player in Trey Young. And Trey Young showed up every game for this Atlanta Hawks team. I thought the Knicks would win in seven or the series would at least go seven. But I was way off there. Atlanta looked like the better team from the jump. And the New York Knicks reverted into the old Knicks of Virchelle where they had a tough time getting into triple digits at all 
in this playoff series. Only got triple digits twice. But Trey Young is a star. The series coming up against the 76ers, if Joel Embiid is out, will be very, very good because Trey Young's a guy that can light it up from anywhere. The Knicks can be proud, though, because I didn't think they were going to be there. I don't think a lot of people thought the Knicks would be the four seed. I don't know if the Knicks are back yet. It's going to be interesting to see the offseason they have with Julius Randle, Derek Rose, R.J. Barrett. Will they try to add another superstar? And they're not. But I think they have a good thing going, especially with Coach Thibs. Uh, for the next two or three years, I do think that's kind of their window to be officially back or not. And then yet another series ended in five games. This time it was the Brooklyn Nets advancing past the Boston Celtics with the triple-double by James Harden, KD, and Kyrie, as well with huge games. And the big three of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant were too much for the solo performance of Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum had a great, great game uh, for this team, but he was at it alone. He needed support, uh, and he just could not get it. Jalen Brown, unavailable because of his wrist injury. Uh, That hurt this team a lot. Kimba Walker did not show up this series. Marcus Smart was on and off, but this team needs one more star to me. You know, they have Jason Tatum as a one superstar. They can match, I believe, you know, the KD on a night-for-night basis with what he's coming into. But Kemba Walker's not a star point guard. Jalen Brown has potential, but in his stage in his career, I don't think he will ever develop into a superstar. It is going to be an interesting offseason for the Boston Celtics and see what they do with this team uh, to try to get back to the conference finals or the NBA finals. To recap one more game, last night, the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. What a playoff series this has been so far, where not one time the home team has won, the road team has won every game, and that continued last night with the Dallas Dallas Mavericks winning 105-100 to in what was a tightly contested game. The Mavericks starting out hot. The Clippers come back, make it close. The Mavericks get hot again. The Clippers get hot, but they cannot take control of this game. That was the difference. Luka Doncic with 42 points. Most of those coming in the first three quarters. He was great. Tim Hardaway 
made big shots when it counted. And to me, the story is Kawhi Leonard and him not stepping up in this series. Uh, End of the game. Turnover by Luka Doncic. Uh, You go down there and you pass the ball to Batum. Gets a rebound. Misses again. Uh, Inexcusable if you're the Clippers uh, to do that. Then the Clippers have a chance to tie the game. They need a three-pointer. And they have, you know eight seconds or something like that. They have time to get a good look. They do. Rajon Rondo in balls it to Kawhi Leonard, who Kawhi Leonard, before taking the shot, made one three-pointer the entire game, was one for six, tightly contested in the corner, threw up an awkward shot that was an air ball, And finished 1-for-7. Dallas Dallas Mavericks made two more free throws and won 105-100. The look on Rajon Rondo's face after Kawhi Leonard made that shot said it all. He was in disbelief that Kawhi shot that shot. I was in disbelief that Kawhi shot that shot. Yes, he has been supposed to be your most clutch player. Has been a clutch player. But Kawhi Leonard has done nothing with the Clippers not this year, not last year, to prove that he's a clutch player. Last year, they blew a 3-1 deficit to a Denver Nuggets. Tell me which part of blowing that 3-1 lead is clutch. Tell me last night what part of being 1-for-7 from 3, 7-for-19 from a field is clutch. He no longer is the clutch Kawhi Leonard. He's no longer clutch, and he shouldn't have taken that shot. If I was Rajon Rondo, I'd be upset that I even passed it to him. But Rajon Rondo can't be talking uh, because he made a few turnovers near the end of the game. Only had one point, not one made basket the whole night. 0 for 6 and 0 for 3. Looks like the skeletons of the Los Angeles Lakers are haunting him for switching rivals from winning the chip last year in what happened this year. They would have been better off with a game-tying three from Marcus Morris or Reggie Jackson, who were both 50% from three last night. Marcus Morris, 4 for 8, had a couple big-time buckets. Reggie Jackson, 6 for 12 from three. Kept him in the game with 18 points from the three-point land, and he had 20 points overall. Even Paul George with three for seven, but he wasn't that much more efficient than Kawhi Leonard. And their stars, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that dynamic duo, they really do put the die in dynamic as they just, I believe, killed their chances of winning this series last night. I believe it is over. It doesn't matter if it goes to a Game 7. The Mavericks are winning this series. I was wrong about the Mavericks from the start. I was wrong about the Clippers from the start. The Clippers 
just get in their own way. They turn the ball over one, two, three, so many more times uh, than they do. And you had the best three-point shooting team and the best free-throw shooting team in the Los Angeles Clippers this year. And the Dallas Mavericks had outperformed you this series so far in that perspective or in that uh, stat line. And in this game, yesterday, the Clippers shot 37% from three. The Mavericks shot 39% from three. The free throw percentage, Mavericks were at 90, they missed two. The Clippers were at 80, missed five. Oh, look at that. The Clippers lost by five points, but they missed five three throws. You make your five three, five three, five free throws, and this game is tied up. Uh, it's unacceptable by a team like the Los Angeles Clippers, who are trying to compete for championships. But there are two games on tonight, two pivotal game sixes, and I will be picking both of them. First, the Denver Nuggets in the Portland Trail. Blazers. I'm picking the Trailblazers to win this game because I picked them to win this series and I just need to pick them to be right even though I don't like it now especially after the last game where Portland had it. Damian Lillard with a record performance most threes in a playoff game 12 of them. Two buzzer beaters. One to send the game into overtime and the other to send the game to double overtime. What a terrific performance it was. But they still couldn't get the win. Because of that, I feel like that's deflating. And I want to pick the Nuggets to win this game. I probably do think I should just pick the Nuggets to win this game. But I have to roll with the Trailblazers. Because I picked them to win this series. And even if Damian Lillard goes on his poor performance again, uh, like last game, will he get the support that he needs from his team? He scored 55 points over a third of the team's total points. C.J. McCollum has to be better. Two for eight from three. You're supposed to be a sharpshooter shooting guard. That was not the case. Seven for 22 from the field. You have to be a lot better C.J. McCollum and help Damian Lillard out. Wasted, wasted performance in that game. Then the next game six is the Phoenix Suns going up against the Los Angeles Lakers. And you better believe I am picking the Los Angeles Lakers to win this game. And the next game too. On Saturday, at first I said Lakers in five, then it had to be Lakers in six, now it's Lakers in seven, or it's Lakers in nothing. LeBron has to step up this game from the beginning. Uh, Last game, he did not look like he wanted to carry this team and shoulder the load. He was the one talking about his big, broad shoulders. Uh, 
and nothing looked good for this team. I will highlight LeBron's struggles after I highlight the team struggles. Dennis Schroeder, zero points in 26 minutes, 0 for 9 from the field, 0 for 4, zero points, bet strike one. Contavious Caldwell Pope, KCP, supposed sharpshooter, 15 minutes and zero points, only took one shot. That's two strikes. Alfonso McKinney, Jared Dudley, Ben McElmore. I lumped them all together because those are not starters. Like Dennis Schroeder and KCP are two starters, got zero points. Three players off the bench with zero points combined 0 for 7. Alex Caruso, 2 for 8, 5 points. Wesley Matthews, 5 points. Marcus Gasol, 5 points. Andre Drummond, 7. Markeith Morris, 4 Kyle Kuzma had 15, but it was not a pretty 15. LeBron James had 24, but a lot of those came in a third quarter in which you no longer needed to even be in the game. You walked out of the game with five minutes left. You couldn't have. You shouldn't have even came back at halftime. This team shouldn't have came back at halftime because they were dead. They looked dead, and they started off so good. I believe they had like a 10 to three. 10-5 lead, LeBron James made a three, was engaged passing, and I said, LeBron, this is what I need. And he went cold, turning the ball over multiple times, people not in the right spot. He wasn't aggressive going to the lane. Zero free throws because he would not drive a basketball, settling for jump shots. I just don't know if he wants to carry this team anymore from this performance I saw last game. Then in the third quarter, he made like three threes uh, to look better. He was 6 for 10 from three-point land, uh, 9 for 19. But he's got to be more aggressive. He has to drive to the bucket because nobody can match LeBron. He's at age 36 still. He's bigger than a lot of guys. He can bully his way into the lane when Cameron Payne switches on him, when Jay Crowder is on him. LeBron has to be aggressive. I said he has to be 2015 or 2018 vintage LeBron without AD. Well, I said that on Monday, that either one, but 2018 vintage LeBron was more special than 2015 because LeBron did it with what I thought was the worst supporting cast of all time. He has to be 2018 vintage LeBron tonight. After the last game performance, I don't know if he can do it. Or if he does, I don't know how many more times he can do it. But I believe he's got at least one more of those games left in him. And I believe we're going to see it tonight. It's Staples Center. On display, LeBron James is going to have a huge game. He has to be aggressive. i like to see him score two. Pass the ball, but other players, if he's passing, has to knock down shots. Maybe if he's engaged early, I don't care if he starts the game on a 12 uh, scoring by himself and then getting him engaged later if he sees that his teammates are not knocking down shots. 
but I have the Lakers winning this game. Even though I'm worried, more worried than I was the other day, my concern level was a 3 or 4 at Game 5 going in. Going into Game 6, my concern level, I would say honestly, is around a 7. I'm very concerned going into tonight. I'd be less concerned if Chris Paul was officially injured, but what an acting job. Uh, That was crying, writhing in pain during Game 5 after a little bump in your back. And there was a review for a flagrant foul because he was boxing you out for a rebound. And the stinger activated again in your shoulder. And you made two free throws and you looked perfect. I mean, what a job you did to try to get a flagrant foul on Wesley Matthews, Chris Paul. I mean, I applaud you for doing that. Obviously, I won't give you an Academy Award because Wesley Matthews didn't get a flagrant foul. Oh, but you did your best, and you look better than LeBron at acting for sure. Oh, that's right, because you do act most of the time because you're out of the playoffs earlier than LeBron has. You have no championships like LeBron has, and you sponsor in more commercials uh, for State Farm than playoff appearances and playoff wins that you have. How about you stick to State Farm, Chris Paul, and we'll let LeBron James win more rings. How about that? Now, moving on to the NHL. Mark Scheifley with a huge hit last night on Jake Evans near the end of the game. 4-3. to three. Empty net goal wraparound, and Shifley lays out Jake Evans. Jake Evans didn't see it coming. Shifley rolled, jumped right into that hit. Uh, as he knew, he missed a puck, finished a check, and unsuspecting Jake Evans needed to be carted off after a monstrous hit from Jake Evans. Was this the dirtiest play I've ever seen in my life? No, it has not. I've seen way dirtier, uh, even this past year. But it was unnecessary. But with all the speed that Shifley was going at, I don't see him stopping. So I finish a hit, and if he hits him, and maybe the puck doesn't go in the net, who knows? Uh, I don't know if that hit was unavoidable. I don't think it's worthy of a huge suspension. Uh, Shifley's not a dirty player. Uh, I just think the frustration really boiled him over the edge. Uh, is this Montreal Canadiens team is a very pesky team that just beat the Leafs in seven games and then opens with a big win against the Winnipeg Jets. But I will pick the two games for tonight. And also pick the series as well. The Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders tonight. I'm picking the Boston Bruins to both win this game and win this series. To me, Tuka Rask is a better goalie in net with the more experience than Varlamov or Sorokin. And I just think the balance that they have after that Taylor Hall trade, where you can balance him across the second line, and still have your top line of Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak. 
much better, much more equipped this time of year than the Islanders. Then the Carolina Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm picking the Carolina Hurricanes to win this game, but I am picking the Tampa Bay Lightning to win this series. Anytime you're 17 million cap over in the playoffs, I mean, heck, when do you lose, right? I mean, Carolina should go out and try to attract some free agents right now and get them signed and get them going uh, to help compete with this team. But no, with Kucherov back and Braden Point and Stamkos, it had been too much firepower uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes, where if they were, those two players were in the whole regular season, they would most likely have been and would have been the number one seed. Then the Montreal Canadiens in the Winnipeg Jets. Even though the Montreal Canadiens won this first game, I am picking the Winnipeg Jets to win this series. Very nervous after that last game, but I like the Winnipeg Jets uh, to do it. I think Connor Hellebuck will bounce back after a bad game because he played so good against a more high high firepower team in the Edmonton Oilers. But I do think this will be a very tightly contested series, and I like Winnipeg to do it because, to me, they have more offensive firepower than the Canadians. Then the Colorado Avalanche and the Golden Knights, now that the Golden Knights are down 0-2 after last night's overtime winner by Miko Rantanen and a really, really uh, soft call, bad penalty on the ensuing play that caused the game winner because the Colorado Avalanche were on the power play. Uh, Stick was in one of his hands and it was called a slashing he kind of just, you know, threw the stick down, so I didn't like that. Uh, the penalty kill on that ensuing power play wasn't good for the Knights. I don't blame Marc-Andre Fleury, but Marc-Andre Fleury was much better than Robin Leonard looked. This offense was better than it was the first game. Uh, they're just down 2-0 now, and I think the Avalanche will sadly win this series, even though I'm rolling with the Golden Knights. And it's interesting to have the two best teams in the NHL playing each other in the second round. Colorado at 82 points, Vegas at 82 points, uh, playing each other in the second round. Only in the NHL do you see that. Maybe Gary Bettman should look into fixing this. Now I'm going to give you my top five teams. For Major League Baseball. Number five. The Chicago White Sox. Why? Well they have a really solid lineup. And rotation as well. They're top five in a lot of categories. So far. Such as rotation. And bullpen. ERA. Run differential. Had one of the best records. uh, In May. Which kind of catapulted into them. Into my top five were number one at one point. But the Chicago White Sox team is ascending. 
and will only get better with time. Number four, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why? Because Cody Bellinger, Cody Bellinger is back, and this team looks so much better with another big-time hitter in the lineup. As we saw with his six RBI in the first inning of the first game he was back in, Mookie Betts, it offsets the Corey Seager injury and others when your big-time players are playing and are at their best. Number three, the San Francisco Giants. And the reason I have the Giants at three ahead of the Dodgers is because they just won three in a row against the Dodgers. They are can't deny how good the Giants are so far this year. I do think after that series sweep that they are for real. This team is for real even though they're aging. They're older. They want one more run in them. Why not the San Francisco Giants this year? Number two, the Tampa Bay Rays. Why? Well, Randy or Tyler Glass now has been sensational for the Rays off the mound. Randy Azarina, Meadows, Kittridge have all been hitting well for the Rays to catapult them into first in the AL East when. Before the season, we were talking about the Yankees. Beginning of the season, the Boston Red Sox were hot, but it's the Rays who have been consistently climbing and have reached the top of the East, and I think they're going to be there to stay. And number one is the San Diego Padres. Why? Because they won 16 of 19 games. I will say that Tatis makes the ship run. So with his latest injury, coupled with this four straight uh, game losing streak, that does raise some eyebrows. But for now, I'm going to stick with them to one, even though I'm worried. To me, it tells me how much of an impact Tatis has on this team. But that's my top five teams in baseball right now. The Chicago White Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the San Diego Padres. And that's all, folks. Talk to you all soon. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye, everyone.